So we're talking in these series that we're in right now on the making of a testimony. And the t- all a testimony is, it's, your, it's what happened to you. It's your story. Therefore, it's unique. It's human and it's real. Our hope is that Jesus becomes a part of your story, your testimony. In fact, when he does, you're going to find out that he's not only, he's, he becomes your story, he also becomes your song, as the psalmist often. It just becomes the song of your heart, this relationship that you have with him that's eternal. Your testimony is the story of your encounter with God and his never-ending, faithful, personal, and continuous presence in loving you to health, wholeness, and joy. That's what God does through Jesus Christ. Someone said, your story is the key that can unlock someone else's prison. As believers, that's exactly, in fact, Wednesday night, this past one, we had, uh, the whole topic was on pornography, which is a difficult topic, but I want to tell you that through the testimony, the vulnerability, if you haven't seen it, it's online, I, I hope you'll watch that. That's a major problem rampant through all the church and everywhere else. And so we had some, some men and women sharing very vulnerably of what they've gone through in these areas of um, pornography and, and sexual addictions. I'm telling you, it's a powerful, freeing thing to hear. Our, our, our Wednesday nights, we want them to be hopeful and helpful. And that's exactly what happens in a testimony. So our testimony can be that which frees someone else from their prison. They hear what God did in our lives as believers. And that is the testimony that overcomes the devil also. So Mike Hildebrand, who was a guest with the, from the Navigators, was here. He has a ministry for years in this whole area of sexual addiction through the Navigators. He said this, and it just struck me. I thought it's such a great sentence. He said this, as we're wrapping up and inviting people to be prayed for. He said, there's more love in this room than shame in your heart. See, that's the believer. There's more love in this room than shame in your heart. We have our prayer tables that we want, we're inviting you to every service. If you want to get to know Christ, if you want to come to know him, it's going to be at those tables. But that's also where you go to get prayed for. And our prayer team is committing not only to coming and being here for one of the services to pray for you, but then they're going to pray for you the whole week. There's more love in this room than shame in your heart. I love that. That is so wonderful to know. So let's pray a moment, and then we'll get into the study this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We are asking, Lord, I'm asking and we're asking that you would speak to us. My voice, Lord, but yours is the one we need to hear. And through your word, living and powerful, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Lord, we need you. We long for you. We are praying for anyone who doesn't know you. They will come to know you through the word today. Lord, we're asking for your blessing over the things I prepared. Break them fresh. Feed us, Lord. We are hungry. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, I'm going to have a lot of scripture today. I'm not going to read it all that I have, but I want to just inundate you, if I can, with the scriptures again this morning. We need to be filled up with them, and it's faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So if you have your Bible or your device, would you please open it or start it or whatever you need to do. We're going to be in Acts chapter 24, but I'm going to get a little running start as I have with each of these because we have chapter overlaps. So go to chapter 23 and verse 33, and let me run us up to this for a moment. Paul in Acts 22 and 23, and really his whole life, 
He had nothing but affliction and persecution. He said to Timothy, you've seen my afflictions and persecutions. that happened at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. So Paul was constantly dealing, and Paul got discouraged. In Acts chapter 23, but the following night the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you also must testify or bear witness to me in Rome. And God fulfilled that promise. But Paul had his times of discouragement because of so much persecution and affliction that he had to endure. So in Acts 23, verse 12, and finishing up the chapter, we have these 40 men who banded together to kill him. And this was nothing new for Paul. Paul's nephew hears them plotting, tells his uncle Paul, who in turn had him speak to the commander, who in turn sent Paul away at night to Caesarea, protected by 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen. What an entourage, just for one man. He also sent a letter to Felix explaining what was happening. So as we pick it up in Acts 22.33, excuse me, 23.33, When they had come to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. So waiting for the accusers to come down and be a part of this assembly. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. So Felix keeps Paul in Herod's palace. I would say those are pretty good accommodations, wouldn't you say? See, God takes care of us all the time. So this week, we're going to look at a testimony of a gospel confession. And the first two questions, I'm going to give you three bullets under each one, but two questions this morning. The first one is, what is the testimony of a gospel confession? Let me say this, there's only one. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, and the main thing is Jesus. Can I hear an Amen. That's John Corson said that, stuck with me. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the testimony of a gospel confession is the testimony of Jesus Christ. So today's goals, today's goals that we have, start with Jesus, stay with Jesus, and end with Jesus. That's a good little thing for, banner it over your door as you walk out in the morning. So number one, the testimony is of the one who is the way whom I worship. The testimony is of the one who is the way whom I worship. Notice, look at verse 14. But this I confess to you. Now we're picking up in these middle middle verses. We'll go back to the beginning and end. But in chapter uh, 24, verse 14, he says, This I confess to you, that is to Felix, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship my fathers. Now, a sect used here is in a bad sense. It's those who would be holding malicious error. In context, the enemy of Judaism. It's a sect. It's not Judaism. But it is nothing of the kind. The truth is, it's the fulfillment of all the scriptures that God had promised all along the way. So in John chapter 10, again, if you, as I'm going to these verses, if you could turn there, I'm going to read portions of these. So John chapter 10, verse 24. The Jews surrounded Jesus and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. So are you the promised Jewish Messiah? The Jews are surrounded. Just tell us plainly. And so Jesus said, verse 25, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. 
Verse 26, but you do not believe. That's the crux of it. They wouldn't believe. You do not believe because you are not of my sheep as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. What a tremendously powerful definition of the gospel. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. Let me say that Jesus said, I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, verse 32, many good works I have shown you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? Notice, the Jews answered him saying, for a good work we do not stone you, but, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself God. His enemies understood exactly who he was claiming to be. You're claiming to be God. So, Jesus answered, many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of these? Because you, being a man, make yourself to be God. Very clear. Jesus is God come in the flesh. He is the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to Israel to bring a Messiah into the world. Now go to John chapter 14 in verse 1. Peter has just said, I'll never deny you, Lord. And Jesus said to him, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. The next verse, next chapter, but really the next verse, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Where's that? Ascended and glorified in heaven. And where I go, you know, and here it is, the way you know. Now, you love Thomas. You love just this, the, the honesty. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? Good question. And you know, we can always be very vulnerable and honest with God. God, I don't get it. That's okay with God. Now he, hello. <laughs> Sometimes that you feel like that. Uh, hello. <laughs> now, Jesus said to him, key verse in all the Bible, central. He said to him, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes, what, to the Father except through me. In other words, no one can know God except through Jesus Christ. Powerful. Now, you take that verse and say, okay, what are you going to make of this unbeliever? Jesus claimed these things. He's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. And let me tell you this morning, he's the Lord. He is the way, the truth, and the life. What is the testimony of the gospel confession? The one who is the way whom I worship. That's the testimony. The testimony of Jesus. So verse 7, again with John 14. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him again, Lord, just show us the father. Would you just, just show us the father. It's sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen God, if I might. Seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? You see, after the cross, and after they begin understanding that they had seen God 
in the flesh. John wrote about things we've seen, we've handled, we've gazed upon the eternal life. They realized they had been walking the streets of Jerusalem and these areas in Judea with God himself. Wow. And after the resurrection, they began to understand those things. Paul the apostle, once Saul of Tarsus, was fighting against and killing Christians and he came to meet Jesus. All of a sudden he went, wow, he is the way. He is the truth. He is life. That's the testimony of a gospel confession. It's all about Jesus. What a wonderful thing that is. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing, and that is Jesus. Start with Jesus, stay with Jesus, end with Jesus. He says, so I worship the God of my fathers. That's what Paul's saying in his testimony. I worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's who I worship. The personal covenant God of Israel. The same El Shaddai, almighty God, who was... His na- that name was how Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew God, by that name, El Shaddai. The same Elohim, the strong one, Lord Almighty. The same Adonai, my Lord. The same I am that I am. I am the becoming one that he revealed himself there to Israel. The same Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. The same Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our health. The same Jehovah Nissi, the Lord our banner. The same Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. The Lord Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd. The same Jehovah Tzitkanu, the Lord our righteousness. The same Jehovah Shama, the Lord is present. He's the same one. I worship the God of my fathers. I say, yeah. You see, God is the same yesterday, today, forever. He never changes. The same God who is the covenant personal God of Israel is the one that we worship. The one, yeah, the one glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. It's the same God. The one, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. The one I bow my head and worship, as Moses said. The one everlasting God. The Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, who neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. Isaiah. The covenant God of Israel who said through the prophet Jeremiah, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. That same God said, I'm going to make a new covenant. He's the personal covenant God of Israel. He's the same of the personal covenant God of the new covenant. I worship the same personal God of the new covenant. All promised through Israel. Hebrews chapter 8, turn there. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning in verse 7. For if the first covenant had been faultless, Hebrews 8, 7, no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, quoting Jeremiah, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant made with their fathers, in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt because they did not continue my covenant and therefore I disregarded them. The covenant was broken time and time again by Israel. God made that covenant of the law with them. And then the sacrifices and the priesthood, all of that a part of God's covenant. For this is the covenant I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord, in the future as they were hearing this. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
None of them shall teach his neighbor. And none of his brothers saying, know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. In that he says a new covenant, he makes the first obsolete. Now what is growing obsolete is ready to vanish away. The new covenant that Jesus said is my blood in the new covenant. That's who we worship. Our Redeemer, the mediator of the new covenant. That's who we worship. The fulfillment of God's promises through Israel. So Jesus said, this is the, covenant, the cup of the covenant of my blood that's shed not only for many, but then he says, for you. If you're here and you don't know this wonderful, personal, merciful, gracious, everlasting God, you can know him through Jesus Christ. His blood was shed for you to know him. Peter says, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your former manner of life, but with the precious blood of Jesus as a lamb without spot or blemish. That's who we worship. Hebrews says, Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. The mediator of the new covenant. Who, who his blood through the eternal spirit offered to God and the sin of the world taken care of. Hebrews says, 12.22, you, have, you, didn't, you haven't come to the mountain that might quake, the new old covenant, that shook in darkness and blackness and tempest, so that even Moses said, I am exceedingly fearful and trembling. That's what Moses experienced that first when God gave the covenant of the law to them. I'm exceedingly fearful, but he says this, Hebrews 12.22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. <laughs> are you registered in heaven? That's who the church is. That's who we worship. That's where we're heading. To God, the judge of all, to the spirit of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. That's who we've come to. That's who we worship. He is holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Same God. And we, the redeemed, will sing a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll, open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us, purchased us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. That's what we're going to We're going to worship. We're going to sing that. The redeemed. The one whom before whom the redeemed will look and hear the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was, will be 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And the redeemed will see every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them and will hear them saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And we'll hear the four living creatures saying, Amen, and we'll see the 24 elders fall down and worship him who lives forever and ever. It's coming. You, the redeemed, purchased by his blood. Blessed assurance, Jesus mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heirs of salvation, purchased of God. And I don't remember the rest of it. We're going to sing it to close this service. <laughs> he is the one who will make all things new. All things. Now, 
I'm, I'm looking at Byron, seeing Byron. I like to remodel houses. I don't mind. I like to do those kinds of things. But there's a remodeling project that God's right now getting ready with our mansions and this new heavenly Jerusalem. I don't know what it's going to be like, but I'll tell you, we could never do it. God's going to make all things new. Oh, here's it. Okay. Secondly, it's the, test, the testimony is of the one who is the truth whom I believe in. That's the testimony. Look at what Paul says in verse, or Luke writes in Acts uh, 24, 14, second half. Believing all things that are written in the law and in the prophets. Very simple. God wrote all about it before it ever happened. And so Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus came to fulfill everything that was written in the law and the prophets. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus risen from the dead. These two men are walking on the road to Emmaus, and they are bummed out. They're sad. And Jesus pulls up alongside, hidden from them. They didn't know it was him. He hidden from them. He pulls up alongside and says, so what's going on? I mean, why are you so sad? He said, well, haven't you heard? I mean, Jesus of Nazareth, that he came, and we were hoping he was the one who was going to deliver Israel, but they killed him and crucified him. However, and they're thinking, you know, this thing happened. These women came, and they said that he's risen, so we went and checked it out, and we, we couldn't find. So they're just not sure what to believe. And Jesus said, oh, slow of hearts and foolish to believe all that the prophets have written. Ought not the Christ to have suffered and enter into his glory? It was necessary. And he began this Bible study with them. And through the prophets and all, and all the Old Testament scriptures, he began to teach them all about himself. Hebrews, it says, in the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. That's Jesus. The scriptures from beginning to end are all about Jesus. In fact, the spirit of prophecy is Jesus. It's all about him. First Corinthians, Paul said, moreover, brother, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you're also saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. It's either true or it's not true. You see, it's the testimonies of the one who is the truth, whom I believe. All in him, wrapped up in him. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, listen, according to the Scriptures. That he was buried and rose again according to the scriptures. See, it's all in the scriptures. Undeniably true. And so he said, I've come in the volume of the book it's written to me to do your will, O God. And Jesus, in surrendering to the will of the Father, accomplished the work that was impossible to ever happen aside from him willingly laying down his life, sinless and perfect for you and for me. Third thing. It's the, test, the testimony is of the one who is the life whom I live for. Verses 15 and 16 in our passage this morning. As Paul says, I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. We looked at this last week, so I'll, be, I'll, I'll direct you to last week's study as I talked about this. That whole idea that we will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Not for salvation, but for what God was able to do in sanctifying our lives to bring glory to him. So we're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to judge our lives and he's going to reward us according to, to the good or not because of the bad. And so whatever the bad might be, 
whatever the good might be, I know that all of it is going to bring glory to God, and that's how it's going to work. And so we're going to be judged for those things. So Paul said, my aim is clear. I'm living to please him. That's why I'm living. That's my aim. He said also that my assurance is Christ and no one else. Hebrews says this, verse chapter 10, 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He will keep us. He's able to keep us in all the things that we go through. All our failures, all our sin. We have a high priest that we can come to. We have a throne of grace that we, can, we are told to come boldly to. And so the testimony is of the one who is the life whom I live for. And how I live is for him to please him. And I hope that's the same for you. As a believer, I know that's in your heart. May God help us in our disciplines. May God help us as we're soldiers in our duty to Christ. May God help us as farmers to daily diligence in tending the, the, if you will, the sphere of influence that God's given to us and tending to that as best we can day in and day out because we know that when it gets to the end of life, we don't want to look back and regret that we never did that. The testimony is of the one who is the life whom I live for. This verse, verse 16, we looked at this last week also, but let me... This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Jesus, in our relationship with him, with him, can hold fast us to our confession. He's faithful. He will lead us. He will empower us. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let's hold fast to that. Hebrews 3.1, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed as Moses was faithful in all his house. Jesus was faithful to do what, he, what needed to be done for you and for me. He will be faithful to the end. Again, Hebrews 4.14, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. The testimony is of the one who is life, whom I live for. And our confession of Jesus is our heart motivation as to why and how we live this life. Titus said, chapter 2, verse 11, for the grace of God, notice, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Here it is. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, what? Zealous for good works. That's why I live that way. He's my motivation completely. Now, what about my testimony of the gospel? Second question. What about my testimony of a gospel confession? Can I have that up there? Thank you. First of all, number one, my testimony makes some people mad. Now, I, that's what happens here. We got a lot of people that are mad because of Paul's testimony of Jesus Christ. And that's going to happen. We don't like that. We don't put some of these verses into our little boxes of promises. But the fact is that we're going to suffer persecution because of our testimony. And so my testimony makes some people mad. Look at verse 1 now. After five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down for, with the elders and a certain orator named Tertullius, probably a lawyer, 
they gave evidence to the governor against Paul. Now Luke, who's writing, was an eyewitness. He's there writing about this. And they used every means possible to impress Felix in hopes of judgment against Paul. And so, and when he was called upon, Tertullus began his accusation, saying, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity. Now, that was not the case. Felix was a ruthless man. And it's all, it's recorded in history. He was a Roman governor of Judea, appointed by the emperor Claudius. His evil character is fully cooperated by the writings of Josephus, a first century Jewish historian. Although he suppressed the robbers and murderers who infested Judea, yet, quote, from Flavius, he himself was more hurtful than all of them put together. He was bad news. He was a bad dude. So this guy's coming, knowing the power he has. When occasion offered, he did not hesitate, Felix, to hire assassins to kill his enemies. He ignored anything that would be just if it was going to get in the way of his greed. Very greedy man. He sacrificed duty and justice for the sake of his own unscrupulous selfishness. And we see here, he held Paul because he was hoping to be bribed to make some money and then release Paul to his friends. His friends didn't do that. Paul didn't do that. Now, the proceedings continue. Verse 5. For we have found this man a plague. Now, you know what a plague is, right? It sort of kills everyone in this wake. And then it's saying, Paul, he's a plague, a creative dissension among all the Jews throughout the world, a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him and wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. Jesus said this, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Now, I don't often do that. I'm not sure I ever did that initially. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecute the prophets who were before you. Blessed are you when they hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast you out. Jesus said, it's going to happen. Jesus said, the world hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. We are to shine like lights exposed. It makes people uncomfortable. In John 15, Jesus said to his disciples, again, that night he was betrayed, chapters 13 through 17. In John 15, 18, he said, if the world hates you, You know this, it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you are not of the world, notice, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. That's just what's going to happen as believers. Jesus said in John 16, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think he offers God service. And these things will do to you because they don't know me or the Father. They don't know God. They think they know God, but they don't. And therefore, they hate Christians. Second Timothy, Jesus, Paul writing to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 10. You have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering love, perseverance. And then he says, persecutions, afflictions. Timothy, you follow. You've been there. And Timothy was, saw a lot of that. So this whole, it's going to make some people mad. That's what's going to happen. As far as, what about my testimony of a gospel confession? Secondly, 
My testimony makes me so glad. <laughs> Can you hear an amen? Paul, look at verse 10. Paul, after the governor had nodded to him, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Paul said, I'm happy to talk to you about what's going on. And he saw in all of his prisons and all of his afflictions, he saw the hand of God opening up an opportunity for him to talk about what he loved. What he, what he just absolutely loved. And that was what God did for him in his life. His testimony. He was innocent in every single accusation except one. And that was his hope in the resurrection. And what Teflon that is. <laughs> It just sort of slides off because I know in whom I believe, I know that when it's all said and done, all these things are going to be like a vapor that's just gone. And we need to keep an eternal perspective. We need, and that's the joy of our hearts. That's the joy of our hearts. My testimony makes me so glad. I am so thankful. Enough said, I don't know why God chose me, but he did. And for that, I'm just going to go praise the Lord. And the same for you. He chose me. He is working in me. He's already sees me as glorified. Who shall separate for love of Christ? Shall tribulation, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? None of these things. Yeah, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. That's true. But in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Persuade neither death nor life, angels, principalities, things present, things to come, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. My testimony makes me so glad that God chose me. And the final thought on this passage my testimony sometimes leaves me sad. Why is that? Because someone doesn't receive it that I love, that I care about, or maybe someone I don't even know. And that's what happened with Felix, verse 22. When Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, in other words, he had studied it, he had learned it, adjourned the meetings and said, when Lysias, the commander, comes down, I think this was a stall tactic, keeping Paul that hoping to get bribed, I will make a decision, which he didn't, on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to provide for a visit, provide for or visit him. Verse 24, after some days when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him according to the faith in Christ, concerning the faith in Christ. Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, notice Felix was afraid. Now this guy's a powerful man. The Holy Spirit is more powerful than any power on earth combined. The Holy Spirit's working out, and he's afraid. That's a good response. He's getting, there's something going on, although I don't know if it ever took. He was afraid. And answered, go away for now. So his answer is, stop, go away, I'll see you later. And when someone continues, does that, to God, stop, go away, I'll see you later. The sadness is they might see God at the white throne judgment, which is not where you want to meet God. And I want to talk about that in a moment in closing. Meanwhile, he hoped, verse 26, that money would be given. He was very greedy. And it's very sad because more important to Felix than losing his soul was getting a little more gold. That's very sad. Someone reminded me after the study last night that we have our own sad Felix story. If you're a Seattle Mariner fan, that is. I said, now that's a pretty good way to keep things in perspective. This man, Felix, I don't know that he ever came to know Christ. We don't know that. 
I'll tell you, he's saying, stop, go away, see you later. All the while hoping in his heart. And Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains a whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? People will give a lot of things to have a lot of things. But you can't give anything to save your soul. God did that. And the only way that your soul can be saved, the thing that is eternally significant, the most important decision you'll ever make, it's an urgent decision. You don't know when you leave here today, you go out there and it's the last day you live on earth. Are you going to stand before God apart from Christ? It's urgent. And so we as believers, our hearts should break for the lost. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Jesus looked at the at the multitudes, they were scattered without a shepherd, and he, he said he had compassion on them. I say, Lord, you've got to break my heart for what breaks yours. And with all the hubbub that's going on in our world right now, in our nation, all the animosity, all that stuff, what's going to change that? I know I'm not going to, but I know what I can do. I can be a testimony to my sphere of influence. I can share my story. And... I have to repent often at my lack of doing that or willing to do that in situations that come up. You all know what I'm talking about because it's a spiritual battle. It's a battle for the heart. And this man, Felix, was more interested in his earthly life than he was in eternal life. And oh, how we are called with broken hearts to look at a world that's broken in sin and say, God, can I have a part of the commission to talk to people? So I want to close, because Paul, in verse 15, there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. So this is, as believers in this room, this is not us, but I want to speak to you if you don't know, you haven't gotten right with God yet. It's a sobering thing that I want to share with you but it's true. It's sobering, yes, but there is tremendous answer for your life. It's through Jesus Christ, believing the gospel, that he came and died on a cross, your sins put on him, that he offers to you eternal life, but you must repent. That means you must turn from the way you're living apart from God and not just turn from that, but turn to God in Christ Jesus. And ask him through his provision to forgive you. You see, any relationship that has any meaning must be entered into willingly. God's not going to force this upon you. But he's offering it to you. And as you hear the gospel, I know that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin because you don't believe in Jesus. Of righteousness because you're not righteous. And you can't make yourself righteous. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. God's removed every excuse He's taking care of every problem of sin and the world and the devil on the cross in his son. And he offers to you now this free gift of eternal life. But you must turn and ask that. It's your, it's your decision, your choice. And God will honor your choice. And so, Jesus said this. I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, except the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come. And so, you're hearing some things now. I'm, I'm speaking to you who do not know Christ. You're hearing things now, and maybe they're bothering you. Maybe you're wrestling with them. Maybe your conscience has just been, been, been bothering you for a while. Let me say this. I am the voice 
but God's the one speaking. And it's a battle, we've all been through it. So you as an unbeliever, someone who hasn't come yet to Christ, the Holy Spirit is convicting you of these things. And if you reject them long enough, it will be over. It's that serious. Jesus said, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But listen, the wrath of God abides on him. Revelation, chapter 20, verse 11. I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. You see, the sad part is in not receiving. It's sad because Jesus on the cross provided for your escape your salvation. And you don't have to work for it. You don't have to get on your knees. You just need to come to Christ and acknowledge what God already knows is true and why he sent Jesus because he loves you. Peter said this, don't forget one thing, that a thousand years is one day to the Lord. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Just because God hasn't judged, he will in righteousness and true holiness. He's not slack concerning his promises, as some count slack, but his long-suffering, may I point to you, your heart, unbeliever, to you, because he's not willing that you should perish, but that you should come to repentance. So can we bow our heads as believers in this room this morning? The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, Peter goes on to say. And today, as we're here this morning, You've not ever said yes to Jesus Christ. You've heard the gospel maybe once, maybe just this morning, maybe several times. But you've never repented, which simply means to turn, to acknowledge that you're not right and then turn to the one who is right, and that is God. So I want to invite you as we're praying to make that choice this morning. It's the most important choice you will ever make in all of your life, bar none. And Jesus came and God demonstrated that he loves you through the cross. So three things very simply this morning. I'm going to ask you to raise up your hand and say, I need to get right with God this morning. I don't, I haven't ever been. I've thought about it, this, that, and the other thing. Maybe even as a child you heard it, but you know you haven't been living in a way that's right with God. You're aware of that. Number one, raise up your hand. Second, I'm going to ask you to stand up this morning. In so doing, this is your obedience before God to the gospel. You're saying to God, I'm going to acknowledge publicly that you are the one that I need to forgive me of all my sin and register me in heaven where I know I will go when I die. And all those fears that you have, all the excuses, all the reasons you haven't yet done that, when you stand, And take that stand for Christ. It's going to wash away all those things that have been bothering you, hanging on to you, and crowding Jesus out. You stand. So number one, hand up, stand up. And secondly, we're going to ask you to walk up to one of the tables, as I mentioned earlier. 
And there'll be someone there that will gladly join in that conversation you're going to have with God. You're going to say, Lord, I'm turning from this old life of sin. I know I'm not right with you, but I'm turning to you and I'm asking your forgiveness. I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit. I'm asking you to give me eternal life like you promised you would. And that's where that will happen at the table. So if that's you, as we're praying, just for a couple minutes, just if that's you and you say, today I want to get right with God, just slip up your hand so I can see that. Just want to acknowledge that. Am I seeing a hand there? God bless you. Any others? Just hand up. I see that hand. God bless you. We're praying. Love this. So you who raise your hand, any, any other hand? Just one more moment. Any other hands? I want to get right with God today. I want to know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. I want to know that my life is secure in Him. Sins forgiven, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in newness of life from now into eternity. See that hand there. God bless you. Okay, so you who raise your hand, would you just stand up before the Lord? This is your confession before men, like Jesus said. Just stand up, and in doing this, you're saying, Lord, I want to be right with you. I want to know I'm right with you. Stay standing. Praise the Lord. Someone back there that raised their hand. And by the way, you can stand with someone else if you'd like to. That's great. Good. Now I'm going to ask you just to walk up to the table so you can bring someone with you if you'd like. And this is your walk of faith in repentance and receiving from God his forgiveness and eternal life. And if you don't mind, we're going to give it up right now for these who've gone. Now, I want to encourage you who raise your hand there, not gonna, but maybe after the service you can do that. Very important to go and pray. So as we're singing this last song, I think it's, it's, uh, it's right that we should, in standing at some point during the song, let's stand with those people who don't know Christ that are in our lives, on our hearts. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine, oh, what a foretaste. We understand that, but there are many that we know that don't know that yet, and we want them to know, amen? And I'll come up and do a, a little scripture benediction to close this morning. Let's do that.